Ghostman Horror Host Podcast UK here. The Damn Thing by Ambrose Bruce. One does not always eat when an order is on the table. By the light of the tallow candle, which has been placed on one end of a rough table, a man was reading something written in a book. It was an old account book, greatly worn, and writing was not apparently very legible. For the man sometimes held a page close to the flame of the candle to get a stronger light on it. The shadow of the book would then throw into obscurity a half of the room, darkening a number of the faces and figures. Besides the reader, eight other men were present. Seven of them sat against the rough log walls, silent, motionless. And the room being small, but very far from the table, by extending an arm, everyone would have touched the eighth man who lay on the table, face upward, partly covered by a sheet, his arms at his side, he was dead. A man with a book was not reading aloud, and no one spoke or seemed to be waiting for something to occur. A dead man only was was without expectation, for the blank darkness outside came in, through the aperture that served for a window. All the ever unfamiliar noises of the night in the wilderness, the long, nameless note of a distant coyote, the steely, punishing feel of the tireless insects and trees, strange cries, strange cries of night birds, so different from these are the days of birds of day, the drone of great blubbering beetles, and all the mysterious chorus of small sounds that always seem to have been but half-heard when they have suddenly ceased, as if conscious of an indiscretion. But nothing at all of this noted in that company. Its members were not overcome, overmuch addicted to the idle interests of matters <coughs> of no practical importance. That was obviously in every line of their ragged faces, obvious even in the dim light of the single cattle. They were evidently men of vicinity, farmers and woodsmen. A person reading was a trifle different. One would have said of him he was of the world, worldly, at that abrupt. There was what his attire would address, a certain fellowship with the organisms of his environment. His coat had hardly been past muster in San Francisco. His footgear was not of urban origin. The hat that lay by him on the floor, he was the only one uncovered, was was such that if one had considered it an article of mere adornment, he would have passed it, would have missed its meaning. In countenance, the man was rather prepossessing, with just a hint of sternness, for though he may have assumed or cultivated as a protective to one in authority, for he was a coroner, it was for, it was for, by virtue of his office he had a possession of the book in which he was reading. It had been found among the dead man's effects in his cabin that the inquest was taking place. When the coroner had finished reading, he put the book back into his breast pocket. At that moment the door was pushed open and a young man entered. 
He clearly was not of the mountain birth and breeding. He was clad in all those who dwell in cities. His clothing was dusty. However, as for travel, he, in fact, had been riding hard to attend the inquest. The coroner nodded. No one else greeted him. We have to wait. We have waited for you, said the coroner. It is necessary to have done with this business tonight. The young man smiled. I'm sorry to have kept you. He said, I went away, not to evade your summons, but to post my newspaper an account of what I supposed I am called back to relate. The coroner smiled. The account that, that you posted in your newspaper, he said, differs probably from which they gave under both. That replied, replied, that replied the other, rather hotly, with a favourable flash. Is it as as you please? Or use men full paper? Have a copy which what I sent. It was not written as news. For incredible, it's incredible as a fiction. I may go as part of my testimony under oath. But you can say it is incredible. That that is nothing to you, sir. If I swear it is true. The coroner was silent for a time. His eyes upon the floor. And men about the size of the cabin talked in whispers, but seldom withdrew their gaze. The face of the corpse, for, the, for the face of the corpse. Presently, the coroner lifted his eyes and said, "We assume the inquest." The man removed his their hat. The men removed their hats. The witness was sworn. "What is your name?" The coroner said, "William Arca." Age, twenty-seven. And you knew the deceased, Hugh Morgan? Yes. Are you with, were you with him when he died? Near him. What do you mean? Your presence, I mean. I was visiting him at this place to shoot and fish. Part of my purpose, however, was to study him in his odd, sorry way of life. He seemed a good model for a character in a fiction. We sometimes write stories. I... I sometimes read them. Thank you. Stories in general, not yours. Some of the juniors laughed and almost a sombre background humour. Shows highlight, highlights. Soldiers in their intervals of battle laugh easier. A jest of the death chamber conquers by surprise. Relate the sentences of your this man's death, said the coroner. You may use any notes or memorandum that you please. The witness understood. Pulling a manuscript from his breast pocket, he held it near the candle and turning the leaves until he found the passage he wanted to begin to read. What happened in the field of wild oaks? The sun was already risen when we left the house. We were looking for a quail, each with a shotgun, but only one dog. Morgan said he was at base ground was beyond certain ridge that he pointed out. He crossed it by trail through the trap chaparral. On the other side was a completely low ground, level ground, thickly covered with wild oaks. As we emerged from the chaparral, Morgan was but a few yards in front. Suddenly we heard, in a little distance to our right and partly in front, a noise of some animal thrashing about in the bushes, which which we could see 
were violently agitated. We startled a beer, dear, I said. I said, I wish I had brought a rifle. Morgan had stopped and was intensely watching the agitated chapel. Chaparral said nothing, but I had cut both barrels of his gun. But I had cut both barrels of the, his gun and was holding it in readiness to aim. I thought him a trifle excited, which surprised me, for he had a reputation of exceptional coolness, even the moments of sudden intermittent pearl. Oh, come, I said. Are you going to fill up? Not going to fill up with up deal with quick quail shot, are you? Still, he did not reply, but catching a sight, his face was turned suddenly towards me. I was struck by the intensity of his look, and then, instead of what was serious business in hand, my first conjecture was he had jumped out of grizzly. I advanced to Morgan's side, cocking my face. Cocking my pace to peace as I moved. The bushes were quite quiet and the sound was ceased, but Morgan was attentive to the place as before. What is it? What the devil is it? I asked. The damn thing, he replied, without turning his head. His voice was asky and natural. He troubled soft visibly. I was about to speak further when I observed the wide oaks near the place of the servant moving but in an expressive way. I could hardly describe it. It seemed like it stirred a streak of wind, which not only which not only bent it, but pressed it down, crushed it, so that it did not rise. This moment was slowly prolonging itself directly towards us. Nothing that I had not seen had affected me so strangely at this unfamiliar and unaccountable phenomenon, yet I am unable to recall any sense of fear. I remember and tell it here because, singly enough, I recall, recall it then, that once a look, in looking carelessly out of an open window, I remember he mistook a small tree close to N for a group of large trees at a distance away. It seemed the same size as others, but being more, more distinctly and sharply defined in mass and detail seemed out of harmony with them. It was mere falsation of the law, very perceptive, but it startled, almost terrified me. We uh, so rely upon the only operation of familiar neutral laws that any seeming suspension of them noticed as a menace to our safety, a warning of unthinkable calamity. So now the apparently careless moment of the average and the slow, evident and common approach of the line of disturbance were simply disquieting. My companion appeared actually frightened, and I would hardly credit my senses when I saw him throwing his gun, his shoulder and fire both barrels at an agitated grain. Before the smoke was discharged, they cleared away. I heard a loud serious cry, a scream like that of a wild animal, and flinging his gun upon the ground, Morgan sprang away and ran swiftly from the spot. At the same instant, I was thrown violently to the ground by the impact of something unseen in the smoke. Myself, some substance that is seen thrown away, thrown me against me, thrown against me with great force. Before I could get upon my feet and under cover of my gun, which seemed to have been stuck in my hands, 
I heard Bob crying out as a mortal agony. The mingling always of cries were a search horse. At strabbed sounds of one ears from fighting dogs. Especially terrified, I struggled to my feet and looked in the direction of Morgan's retreat. I thought, Heaven in mercy, spare me from another sight like that. At the distance of less than forty years was my friend, down upon one knee, his head thrown back at a frightful triangle for Atlas, his long hair in disorder, his whole body in violent movement from side to side, backward and forward. His right arm was lifted and seemed lack of the hand. At least I could not see none. The other arm was visible. At times, as my memory now reports this extraordinary scene, I am disturbed not by the part of his not a part of his body, as if he had been partly blotted out. I always otherwise express it. Then a shifting of his position would bring in all of you again. All this must have occurred within a few seconds. Yet in the time Melgan assumed all the posture of determined wrestler, vanquished by superior weight and strength, I saw nothing but him, and him not always distinctly. During the time incident, his shouts and curses were heard, as if an enveloping uproar with such sounds of rage and fury as ever heard from the throat of a man or brute. For the day moment only, I, was, I stood resilient at throwing down my gun, I ran forward to my friend's assistant. I had a vague belief that I was suffering from a fit or some sort of convulsion. Before I could reach his side, he was down and quiet. All the sounds had ceased, but with a feeling of such terror as those awful events were not inspired, I now saw again the mysterious movement of the wild oaks prolonging itself, a troubled area and prostrate man towards the edge of the wood. It was only then I reached the wood that I was able to withdraw my eyes and look at my companion. He was dead. Man seen through, maybe in rags, a corner rose from his seat and stood beside a dead man, lifting an edge of the sheet he pulled away, exposing the tired body, altogether naked and showing in candlelight, like yellow. It had, however, broad maxillions of blush black, apparently caused by as a wretched heart, acerbated heart with from four contusions. The chest and sides looked as if they were beaten with a button. The dreadful deliration of skin were torn in shreds, strips and sheds. The coroner moved round to the, around the end of the bed table and undid a silk handkerchief which was passed under the chin and knotted on the top of the head. When the handkerchief was drawn away, the expression exposed what had been in the throat. Some of the juniors had risen to get a better view, repented their curiosity and turned away their faces. Witness Hartley went down, went to the open window and leaned out, leaned out across the steel. Faint and sick, dropping the handkerchief from the dead man's neck, the coroner stepped to an angle of the room, and from a pile of clothing produced one a garment, one garment from another, each which he held up in possession of expression. All were torn and stiff for blood. The juniors did not need a closer inspection. They seemed rather interested. They had in truth seen all this before. Anything 
It was new to them being nothing. Or the only thing was new to them being Harker's witness. Gentlemen, the, the coroner said, we have no evidence, no more evidence. I think our duty is already explained to you. If there's nothing you wish to ask, you may go outside and consider your verdict. The foreman rose, a tall, bearded man, sexy, coarsely clad. I should like to ask one question, Mr. Coroner. He said, what asylum do this, did this dice you... Gentlemen, the coroner said, we have more evidence. I think your duty has been explained to you. There's nothing you wish to ask. You can go outside and consider your, any, your verdict. The former rose, a tall, bearded man of sixty, coarsely clad. I should like to ask one question, Mr. Coroner. He said, what asylum did this, this, this year last witness escape from? Mr. Harker, said the coroner, gravely and quietly, well, what sudden did you last escape? Harker flushed crimson again, but said nothing, and the seven juniors rose and suddenly fled out, out of the cabin. If you don't insult me, sir, said Harker, said Harker, as soon as he and Elphis had been left alone with the dead man, I suppose I am willing to go. Yes. Harker started to leave, but paused with his hand on the door latch. A sense of habit of profession was stronger than him, stronger than his sense of personal dignity. He turned out about and said, The book that you were... You have there, I recognize this Morgan diary. It seems great interest in it. You read it while I was testifying. May I see it? The public would like the book will cut no figure in this matter, replied the official, slipping into his coat pocket. All entries in here were made before the writer's death. As Harker passed out the w- of the house, the jury re entered and stood about the table. And which now covered the corpse showed under the sheet with sharp definition. A foreman seated himself near the candle, produced from his breast pocket a pencil and scrape of paper, and wrote rather nervously the following verdict, which was various degrees of effort all went all side. We, the jury, do not what do find the remains come to their death and the fits of the mountain lion, but some of us thinks all the same they had had fits. In a diary, explanation from the tomb. In a diary of the late Henry Morgan, a certain interest in entries were possibly a scientific value with suggestions. The inquests upon his body, the book was not put on, put in evidence. Probably the coroner thought it was not worth while he. That I got across upon his body that the, the book was not put in evidence. Possibly the coroner 
thought it well, well worth to confuse the jury. A date of the first entry is mentioned cannot be censored. The upper part of the leaf is torn away, and the part of the entry remains follows. But run in half circles, keeping his head turned towards the centre. And again he would stand still, barking furiously. At last he, would, he ran away into the bush as fast as he could go. I thought for... Barking furiously, a man asked, the man ran away in the bushes as fast as he could. I thought at first he'd gone mad, but on returning to the house, found no other alternative in his manner, and that was obviously due to fear of punishment. Can you, can a dog see with his nose? No, at all, there's a press, some critical, superficial centre with images of things that omitted them. September 2nd, looking at the stars last night, as they rose above the crest of the ridge east of the house, I observed them successfully disappear from left to right. Each was eclipsed but an instant, and only a few at the same time, but along with the entire length of the ridge, all that was within the degree or not, two of crescent were bottled, brought it out. It was as if something had passed along between me and them. But I could not see it. The stars were not thick enough to find its outline. Ah, do not like this. Several weeks' entries are missing. Three leaves being torn from the book. September 27th. It had been about here again. I have found evidence of its presence every day. I watched again all night in the same cover. Gun in hand. Double charge of box shot. In the morning the fresh footprints were there as before. Yet I would not have sworn I did not sleep. Indeed, I hardly slept at all. It's terribly unsupported if, if these amazing spirits are real. I shall go mad. If they are fanciful, I am mad already. October 3rd, I shall not go. It shall not drive me away. No, this is my house, my land. God hates a coward. October 5th, I can stand it no longer. I invited Harker to pass a few weeks with me. He is a level head. I can judge from his manner. He did, he thinks me. If he thinks me mad, what's seventh? There is a solution to the mystery. It came to me last night suddenly as my revelation. How simple! How terribly simple! There, there are sounds that we cannot hear at the other end of the scale. That notes a sterner cold of impression of an instrument the human ear. They are too high, too, too grave. I observed a flock of blackbirds occupying a tire tree top, the tops of several trees, all in full song. Suddenly, in a moment, at absolutely the same instant, all sprang into the air flew away. How? There were sounds that I could not hear. At the other end of the scale, the notes that if she had stern those called, the imperfect instrument, the human ear, it were too high to grave. I observed a flock of blackbirds that were occupying a tired treetop, the tops of several trees, and all in full song. Suddenly, in a moment, at absolutely the same instant, all sprang in, spring, spring 
into the air and fly away. How? They could not know all. See, another whole tree chops intervened. At no point would a leader have been visible to all. This might have been a signal, warning, or command, high and shrill, above the din, but not by me, unheard. I was observed too. The same similar flight when all was silent, among not only blackbirds but other birds, crow. Suddenly, in a moment, at absolutely the same instance, all sprang in the air and flew away. How could they still not see each other? A whole tree, uh, treetops intervened. At no point could a leader have been visible to all. There must have been a signal, warning, or command, high and shrill above the din, but by me, unheard. I observed, too, the small, similar flight, when all was silent among not only blackbirds, but other birds, quail, for example. Wildly separated by bushes, even on opposite sides of a hill. It is known to seamen that a school whales basking of sport or sporting on the surface of the ocean miles apart, with the convexity of the earth between, will sometimes dive at the same instant, all go out at a sight in a moment. A signal was have been sounded. Too grave for the ear of the sailor at the masthead, his comrades on the deck, who nevertheless feel its vibrations, the ship, as the stones of a cathedral, are stirred by the of the organ, which, as with no sound, as with, as so with colours, at each end, scholar, solar spectrum, the chemist can detect the presence of not what are known as acidic rays. They represent colours, integral colours, in the convention of light. When able to discern, a human eye is an imperfect instrument. Its range, but a few octaves of the real chromatic scale. I am not mad. There are colours that we cannot see. And God help me, the damn thing of such a colour.